I, I started to think through this gratitude thing, and, and Pastor Stan's done an incredible job of, of speaking to us about what uh, gratitude is, and that it's actually an act of faith. I love that idea, that it's actually an act of faith to believe and trust that God would actually come through for you if you come with a thankful heart. That's an incredible thought. But it still strikes me every now and again that telling people to be thankful is like me telling people to be happy. Sometimes people just want to say, no, leave me alone. That's too much of a leap from where I am. From where I am right now in the anxiety of the world or whatever it is that's going on in your life, you're thinking, I don't want to be thankful. In fact, I want other people to be thanking me for what I did. Yeah? Sometimes we just get to that kind of obstinate kind of stage of going, I'm sick of trying to be the positive person. Everyone else should be thankful that I'm here. Blessing them. I'm a blessing to them and they should be thankful. I feel like saying, shut up, Jason. It's an Australian joke for all those who don't know. We'll post a link. Many years ago, my wife and I, when we had time in our lives to date, <coughs> we... We'll do it again in 10 years' time, I'm told. Uh, we went to a restaurant, a very schmicko restaurant. Somebody gave us a voucher and said, you've got to go to this schmicko restaurant. It's pretty amazing. And, and they served this amazing new thing called a degustation menu. Anyone? Anyone? Degustation menu. It is the world's only way to make food take as long as possible and make you miss the movie. But degustation is this thing where they give you little portions over a long period of time. Little portions. And all the food is Instagrammable. All the food is incredible. And, uh, and you sit there and you, they come out and they say, here's, here's the, uh, the, the sea foam that we, that we borrowed from a turtle as it was swimming by. This, this sea foam, it was when it was swimming to the left and the sun was shining from the right and that's how, and then they get to the Wagyu. It's always with about the Wagyu, right? This Wagyu was raised on the left-hand side of a hill with southern-facing sun. On a Tuesday, we give them um, bubble gum to chew on, and, and here's four grams of that. That'll be $700. But what you're supposed to do is look at all of these tiny meals... And think, you know, the boy brain in me, sorry if, if this happens for you too, but the boy brain in me, this is not going to, this is not, I'm not going to be full by the end of this meal. These, these are too, this is too small. Add some bacon. <laughs> but here's the kicker, right? Seven hours later, no. You get these little things and there is so much detail in this food that if you take your time, you'll stop thinking about the function of the food and you'll start to think about the process and the detail that went in and the loving hand that cooked this for you. See, most of us sort of eating is like a, just a thing I've got to do in the morning. That's why we sell wheat bix. What are wheat bix? I don't even know. They're squished things together. They're bricks. You put milk on them. You eat. Get out the door. We've even gone a step further now, and I did it this morning for my children. I handed them a little box called Up and Go, which is basically two wheat bix put into a vitamizer. There. We know. You can't even be bothered putting it in a bowl anymore. There it is in a thing. Have a straw. That was not degustation breakfast. But how many people know to get the detail of something, you actually have to stop and take time to understand it. And I find sometimes with our faith, we, we come into places like this and we go, preacher, give me an answer. I just want an answer. I want a healing now. I want provision now. I want out of these circumstances now. 
And the preacher will do their best to go, here's what God says, and here's how he loves you, and here's all the things that he's done for you down through the course of history. And you're like, yeah, but what's he done for me now? Give me the up-and-go version of the gospel. I'm here to tell you that that's never worked and never will. So I thought what I present to you today is gratefulness as a menu of degustation. Is that all right? So I'm going to give you five small portions of Scripture. You can take them away and study them and get the notes online. You can get them through the life group notes that come out. But here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with our first menu item, which is generosity generates thanksgiving. Generosity generates thanksgiving. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11. It says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. And he's saying, he's saying tell the rich people, because we know they're there. Tell them to give. Tell them not to spend their wealth on themselves. Tell them to give. And by the way, if you give to us, we'll be thankful. And our thankfulness will be seen as your generosity. So if you give, I'll be thankful. Our thankfulness will see as your generosity. And if you're thankful, you'll be generous. And if you're generous to us, we'll be thankful. And our thankfulness will look as generosity. And if you're generous, we'll be thankful. And our thankfulness is... Can you see how it goes? If you chew over that for a little while, get it stuck in your heart, anchored in your soul, you'll understand that thanksgiving and generosity are inextricably linked. And that's what Paul is talking about. If you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, quick, quick little caveat. We say it every time we speak about these things in this church. I am not, I am not, I am not talking about cash in your bank account. Okay? I'm talking about a heart and a soul that is built and anchored in the blessings of God so that you can be generous with those blessings on every occasion. Okay? So I just want to make that super clear. For some of you, it will mean that you have finances because you're good at business, you're good at making money, congratulations, I wish I had your talent, but it just means you've just got to be a good steward of those things. The gospel is the great equalizer of culture, okay? So it's not pulling out the, the rich and the poor, but it's saying you should be able to be generous because you understand thanksgiving. And if you're generous to us, Paul's saying, give us some of your cash. That's what he's actually saying. When he's saying to the Corinth, and he's saying, I'll get there and I'll be thankful. And my thankfulness will be seen as your generosity, which is a pretty incredible thing. Here's menu item number two. Grace precedes giving. Grace is a phenomenal thing, and it's a very complicated thing to understand. Unless, of course, you need it. For a lot of us, we don't think we need much grace. I'm doing okay. I'm not a bad person, whatever. But for those who have experienced much grace, oh my goodness, grace just naturally flows out of them. Grace just naturally flows out of them. When you understand that God has covered you, rescued you, protected you, lifted you up, covered you with wings as eagle, been your strong tower in your bright and morning sun, all of the things that God promises when he's come through and you've seen that in your own life, oh my goodness, those are the people that understand grace and carry grace. But grace precedes giving. And this is what Luke 6.38 says. It says, give and it'll be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It'll be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, when it comes to this idea of generosity and thanksgiving, if you understand the never-ending generosity of God, the never-ending grace of God, you will not be stingy in giving grace 
to the community and the world around you. You can't be. It's impossible. If you've actually got an understanding of God's grace, you will naturally get into giving. It's just the way it rolls. Here's what number three is. So you've got your first two little, little menu items. Generosity generates thanksgiving. Grace precedes giving. Treasure the future. I like this one because it seems kind of obvious when you're a little older. When you're young, it's more likely that you're living for today. What's today got for me? Today, has anyone done anything for me today? As you get older, you're like, oh, <laughs> I just want to set it up for the next generation. That's what I want to do. I want to make sure the next generation gets something good. And this is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. It says, Command those who are rich in this present would not be, that they would not be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which richly, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Once you've got the idea that you're thankful to God, once you've got the idea that you are covered in His grace, then surely the next thing on the menu is an understanding that you want the next person, the next generation to have that same understanding. And so out of the wealth you've been given, you will then give it. And I love that phrase, a life that is truly life. I like this one, number four. Practice sacrificial praise. Hebrews. It's actually one of my favorites. <laughs> it says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Through Jesus, therefore. Sacrificial praise Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? I don't know what that means. The, the, the idea of sacrifice is really simple. The difference between just having a sing and giving sacrificial praise is it costs you something. It costs you something. For some of us, it's, it's when we gather as saints. This is actually separate from our normal life and we think, man, if anyone saw me doing this, like singing loud and raising my hands and closing my eyes, they'd probably think, you know, I'm a little strange. It's to separate yourself out from the world and say, I am here for the King of Kings. I'm going to sacrifice some of my whatever to be in His presence. Some of my time. I'm going to sacrifice some of my time. I'm going to sacrifice, uh, I'm going to sacrifice some, of my, some, of my, uh, some of my some of my finance to, to get in the car and go or whatever it happens to be. There's a sacrifice, there's a separation from the world to come and give praise to God. That's why the psalmist talks about offering up a sacrifice of praise. Practice sacrificial praise. For some of you, it might be just a really practical idea of giving praise to people that you're pretty sure don't deserve it. Because you can change the mood in a room, you can change the mood in, ask the teachers, you can change the mood in a classroom just by getting the grumpy kid and telling them they're ace. Because it's not about you at that point. It's about lifting others up. And the ultimate outcome of praise is that you are lifting His name and He will lift you up. 
So he says, I will carry you. I will lift you. Bring your praise to me. Bring your sacrifice to me. And I will lift you. And I will cover you. And I will be your strength and your refuge and your fortress. That's God's promise to us. So don't be shy about bringing sacrificial praise. Number five, put on love. Put on love. Now again, if there's anything that the Christian faith should be famous for, it's our use of the word and the practice of godly love. Godly love. That is just so different to the way the world describes it. This is what Colossians 3 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love. It's something that you pick up and put on. Because you don't wake up every day thinking, man, I love everybody. We're not in the Lego movie. Everything is not awesome. Sometimes you just have to put the right coat on. You need to put on love. Bear with each other. And forgive one another. If any of you have a, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So here's, here's my question. Do you like you? Do you like you? Because I just read a scripture to you that said you were chosen. And you were made holy. And you were dearly loved. You're chosen. You're made holy. And you're dearly loved. If you're under his banner, if you're under his name, you were chosen, you were dearly loved. And you were made holy. Here's a short list of people. I wrote down a short list of people that, that Jesus loved, maybe when we possibly wouldn't have. How's this? Uh, Luke 7, Jesus' feet are washed by a, quote, sinful woman. Yeah, sinful woman. Comes in, washes his feet with her tears, breaks the alabaster jar of perfume over it. Luke 7, an incredible scripture. Matthew 9, Jesus had his, the hem of his garment touched by an unclean woman. Again, we've got context for all of this, and I'm sure you can study it this week in your life groups, but Jesus' hem of his garment was touched, and the lady received healing in Matthew 9. In John 11, Mary fell at Jesus' feet and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, the grief-stricken sister of Lazarus falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here. Jairus, in Luke chapter 8, 41, says he fell at, he fell at Jesus' feet desperate, a desperate father waiting for the healing of his daughter. In Luke 17, the leper fell at Jesus' feet and thanked him for his healing. He is an overwhelmed outcast. Are you getting the picture? If we are to bring a sacrifice of praise, if we are to do all of these things that we've been talking about to develop a grateful and a thankful heart, then we start at the same place all of these rejected people started. We start at the feet of Jesus. That's where you start. And if you're weeping, that's okay. You can weep at his feet as the woman in that, in that, uh, in that tableau did. And he sat at that table, Jesus sat at that table and said to his disciples who had said to him, what is this woman even doing? Why is she here? And he, and he said to the whole group of men sitting there, this woman has showed more love and more faith than any, anyone in Israel. This is a phenomenal thing. She has brought a sacrifice and her faith is great. Luke 6.37 
that we read earlier is actually preceded by this scripture. It says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Here's my take on that. We judge as we have been judged. If you feel that you have been uh, unfairly judged, more likely than not, you will take that same filter and apply it to those around you. Because life was unfair to you, and unfortunately, you may use that measure to judge others. We hurt as we have been hurt. Nobody gets through this life unscathed. All of us have been hurt. All of us carry hurt. And we hurt as we have been hurt. I actually think we cheat as we've been cheated too. Because life's not working out, so I take a few shortcuts. But it's okay because other people have taken shortcuts too and they've gotten away with it. But if we digest this meal real quick, generosity generates thanksgiving. Grace precedes giving. We are taught to treasure the future, to practice sacrificial praise and to put on love. But at the feet of Jesus, the whole thing comes together. Because the beautiful moment where that woman comes in to the meal that Jesus is, is, is he's with his apostles and he's with Pharisees. Judge not least, you'd be judged, right? So he's now got everybody in the room. The religious leaders that he told off a fair few times. The apostles that he told had a little faith many times. And sinners. Now we come to understand through the new covenant that all have fallen short of the glory of God and all need Jesus' salvation. So basically everybody in the room needed Jesus, just as everybody in this room needs Jesus. But the only one who truly got it was the one who was most desperate for the grace and the mercy that he offered. So your appetite that you bring to the meal that you bring to the table that he has set, that Psalm 23 says, he has set a table for us in the presence of my enemies. The appetite that you bring to that comes out of your desperate need for him. And she falls at the feet of Jesus and weeps. Because out of brokenness, she realizes she needs Jesus' blessing. And that's all any of us need to understand. That degustation menu, I found it pretty boring. But, 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 as I looked at those, those portions as they came out, as we've just done with these scriptures, they might seem a little boring, but I challenge you to chew them over through the week and mind the depths of what was actually going on in each of those portions of scripture. Because the Bible is alive. It's a living word. And Jesus said he's the bread of life. That degustation menu was just a little boring and went for a little bit too long. You know what tied the meal together for me? It was the bread and the wine. Because in between each one of those little portions of food, they brought out a glass of wine that matched the food. And they brought out bread that they had ground the flour themselves and baked themselves and this amazing butter to put on it. And something about that made the whole experience wonderful for me. See, Jesus has set the table for each one of us, and he just says to us, come. And by the end of this meal, by the end of understanding what I've done for you, I guarantee you, you will have a grateful heart. 
Right now, you may not be in that spot. Right now, you may feel like someone's just telling you to be happy, to be grateful, to be better. And you're like, no, the world has beat me up. Everything is awful, not awesome. But I guarantee you, you spend time with Jesus and you fall at his feet like Jairus did, like Mary did, like, like, like all of these people did. They fell at his feet and they asked for what only he could give them, which was the bread of life. And in the end, of course, he said to them, I'll give you my whole self. And I will give you bread and wine as a reminder that without this, Everything else is dust. We love as we love, just as we judge how we judge and we cheat how we're cheated and we do all those things. As the measure it was measured to us, we try and measure it out to others. And, the, and the, the, the scripture takes it and reverses it and says, stop it, stop making it about you. We love as we are loved. This is a progressive thing. As we love, we learn to love. As we love, we learn to love. But it starts out with as we have been loved. If you're a person that feels like you have not been loved or are not loved right now, it is going to be complicated and difficult for you to love others. And yet the greatest commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and your strength, which is Him. And the second part is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We love as we love. We love as we love as we love as we love. Now, the idea is that we should be practicing love. We should be taking these small meals. Jesus doesn't ask you to just get brilliant at this straight away. It's not like that. You commune with Jesus and you fill up on what he gives you. And by the end of it, by the end of a worship time, by the end of a sacrificial praise moment, whatever it happens to be, I guarantee you, you'll have enough fuel to at least try to love the world around you like he loved them. Because he died for everyone. Think of the worst person in the world. Jesus died for them. Remember what Paul said? Worst person in the world? He said, it's me. I'm the chief of sinners. Which is only revealed to him because he's understood the grace of God. And because he's understood the grace of God, he's added thanksgiving. And because he's added thanksgiving, all of these other things, he started to treasure the future. He started to put on this sacrificial praise. He started to put on love. And in every circumstance, he keeps doing those things over and over and over again. And his soul is filled and anchored and held and carried. And all of the things that you and I need on this day, every single day, when we get up in the morning and the, and the scripture says we should sing praise in the morning, sing praise praise. You're like, I don't want to sing praise. I don't have anything to sing praise about. But put on love, put on thanksgiving, put on grace, dwell in these things, chew over them as slowly as you need. But remember, by the end of it, Jesus will ask you to go and give that to others. We love as we loved. So my question again, Jesus loves you. Do you? Do you even like you? There's plenty of statistics that suggest that most of us don't. You looked in the mirror and thought, I don't like that. You saw what you wrote in your journal and thought, I don't like that. You tripped up in a conversation and embarrassed yourself and thought, I don't like that. 
You compared your income to another person's income, your possessions to another person's possessions, your career to another person's career, and you thought, I don't like that. And yet Jesus says very plainly, we are all made equal in His sight. Jesus loves you. Do you? Because if you can learn to love you the way Jesus loves you, you can learn to be a little more grateful. You can learn to be thankful in all things, to praise in all things, to bring a sacrifice of praise. I have so many reasons not to be preaching this sermon today. Like a lot. Like like a lot. I spoke to a friend who's going through a very, very traumatic season right now and I said you know I'm supposed to preach this sermon on gratefulness and I'm supposed to tell people that you can be grateful in all circumstances and I said you're in the middle of this you're a man of faith is that real can you actually do that is that a is, is that a reasonable thing to be asked He's a person who's influenced my faith greatly. And right now, he's in a very traumatic season. And he said, it's not so much something that I can do. He said, I just understand it as a gift that God's given me. In other words, he can't do it. But God can gift it to him because over his journey he's just kept going back to the scriptures and letting them speak to his heart speak to his life anchor his soul and so even as my friend is going through this season he's saying I'm still grateful for who God is what he's done over my life I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know there's stuff going on in your lives. But I ask you again, Jesus loves you. Do you? Because from that place of love, you will be able to love. And that's why sometimes all the preaching in the world just sounds like noise. And sometimes all all the worship music that should change the environment in your house just feels like noise. And he says, come as a child. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And do you know how he ties it all together? The bread and the wine. Himself. And that's why... We need little reminders every now and again that Jesus loves you and you should too. That's why you can sing this. Jesus loves me this I know (laughs) for the battle Him belong. They are 
Everybody that knows it sings. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, He does. I know that He yes, Jesus loves me. The staff on Thursday at our devotion time. I said, okay, all right, we say Jesus loves us. I said, how do you know? And I know the answer is the Bible tells you so, because it says so in this little song we just sung. But how do you know that Jesus loves you? I challenge you, get that thought swirling in your head and just degust that. Is that a thing? Think about it. How has Jesus loved you? How does Jesus love you? Because as he has loved you, you will love others. As you love, so you love. 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 How has Jesus loved you? How does Jesus love you? Answer that question. It'll anchor your heart as a grateful one. So you can sing it. Jesus loved me. This I... Come on, all the Sunday school kids. Come on. For the Bible Yes, and does lead on to Him be. Are we going to shuffle? They are we, but I think this is a Jamie one. Come on, come on, sing it, guys. Yeah. 